How many of you have ever received a envelope in the mail or maybe even a phone call if you were really special that said, congratulations, you are getting $25,000 credit. It's gonna come on a shiny card. You're gonna be a VIP customer. You're gonna get rewards, maybe. And the best of all, for the first six months, zero interest. Anybody got one of these before? Some of you are like, I wish, that sounds amazing, 25 grand on the spot. What's funny is credit card companies, credit cards, they pump you up, right? They get you all excited, you got all, I'm not gonna talk about money tonight, don't worry. Some of you are like, oh, come on, man, uh, the first night here, gonna talk about money. No money tonight, but listen, so these credit card companies, they get you all fired up, and they send you this card, and you just start swiping and swiping and swiping. Well, what they don't tell you is, as soon as you mess up, we got you for life. As soon as you miss one payment, in that six-month window, your interest, we're not even gonna put it on the paper how high it's gonna be. See, that's what a lot of people don't realize. And so the point is, I say all that just fun, one, to warn you, uh, stay away from credit cards. They can be very, very dangerous, okay? So I said that, that's good. But here's what I'm saying to you. Just like they're kind of sneaky and they kind of, they, they reel you in because it looks so good, it looks so good, it sounds so good. I mean, who couldn't use $25,000 right now? And, I mean, if you, if you are, you need to be, Given tithe, all right? I'm just saying, like, I mean, we could all use that money, but the truth is, man, they're just reeling you in, and man, if you're not careful, well, you could maybe use some bandages there, but if you're not careful, they're gonna get you. And I say that to you because tonight, as our story continues to unfold, what we're gonna see is another way that the enemy operates just like that. Man, he starts reeling you in, things look good or they look right and you think, wow, oh, this, this might be a good decision or this might be a good move or they might be acceptable people to bring into my life. And what we're gonna find is the enemy is so sneaky that he sets us up where it looks so good and then it all falls apart. So that's what we're gonna see tonight. We've been studying the book of Joshua. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Joshua chapter 10. If not, it'll be on the screen. No problem. I do want to catch you up, though, because we're going to skip over chapter 9 and go straight into chapter 10. So I want to just catch you up really quick on what happened. So if you remember, over the last few weeks, we've seen Joshua lead the people of Israel. They're in army mode, battle mode now, and they're moving from place to place. They're stepping into what we call the promised land. This is a land that God has promised to them. But even though God's promised it to them, there's still some work that has to be done. Remember, we've talked about this a lot. Good principle to remember. And so as God's moving them in into the promised land, they are having to go from city to city and they're going to have to take it. They're gonna to have to conquer it. So the first one we saw was what? City of Jericho, right? We saw them conquer Jericho. The walls fell down, they came in, they took everything out. Then they moved to Ai, remember? Ai, not Ai, it looks like Ai, it's Ai. But they moved into Ai and eventually they were able to take that. They had a little mishap, that's what we focused on last week. But eventually they were able to get it all in order and they were able to take that city. So now, word is beginning to spread that these people are on a mission and they're having success. Remember, particularly with Jericho, that was a city no one thought could be conquered simply because of the walls, but God took care of that just by a couple circles around in a couple of days. And so all of a sudden, word is beginning to spread that something is developing. And so there's a group of people called the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites are another city on the path of taking the promised land. Well, they get wind that this is happening and that these people have great strength and all of a sudden, they come up with a master plan. 
See, something we didn't get to cover in Deuteronomy toward the end of the chapter, God tells the people that every city you encounter in the promised land, I want you to take them out. You need to take it out completely and to destroy it. However, if there are any cities outside of the promised land, when your conquest is complete, if there is an opportunity for you to engage them and you can make peace, I want you to do that. But if you can't, then war can take place and you will be justfully set in position. And so the Gibeonites heard about this and they come up with a master strategy. So what they do is they send a few officials, they head in to meet with the people of Israel and particularly Joshua and they say, hey listen, we're from a city outside of this particular land, we are no threat to you, but we wanna make sure that we're in good standing with you, so would you allow us to come in with you? So Joshua looks at these people, they've disguised themselves well, they've said all the right things, and Joshua and his people make a decision without seeking the Lord, his problem continually, and he decides, hey, no problem, you guys come on in, and guess what, they make a covenant, and you know, we've talked about this in different settings, but a covenant is very important. Covenant's not like a contract. Remember, a covenant says, no matter what, now that I've made this deal, I'm gonna uphold mine, even if you don't uphold yours. And so here we go, all of a sudden, Joshua and his people find out these guys are not from an outside city. They are actually on the line, on the path that God had asked them to take, but now there's a covenant, and they can't break it, so they find themselves in an awkward situation. Now, why is that important for us? Well, because before we go any further, we have to remember, that's how our enemy works. Our enemy loves to be deceitful. In fact, that is his prime weapon, is to be deceitful, to lie, to wiggle his way in. what they do? They disguised themselves, they said all the right things, they worked their way in until Joshua and his people let their guard down, and all of a sudden, he began to move. And listen, here's what I need you to hear. In your life, this is what Satan wants to do to you. It would be too easy if he was loud and proud and everywhere you looked you just saw Satan, saw Satan, saw Satan, I don't wanna be a part of it. But he deceives us. He gets us to think things are good, things are right. Oh hey, this looks like a good idea even though he's twisted it just enough. He's twisted even scripture like he did with the people. He does all of these things because he wants to reel us in so that he can take us out. He is the master of disguise and he is always on mission for you and I. So then comes the big question, how do we defend ourselves against someone that's so crafty, that's got all these ways and all this method to his madness, how do we do it? The key is this, what did Joshua and his people not do? They didn't seek God. They didn't seek the counsel of God and because they didn't seek the counsel of God, they found themselves in trouble. Listen, for you and I, you have to understand, the only way you're going to be able to tell what is of the devil and what is of God is understanding who God is. Did you know how they test counterfeit money? They don't, they don't train to test counterfeit money by looking at counterfeit money. They study the real thing so that they know what's fake. And for you and I, if we don't have that kind of relationship with God where we're studying him, learning about him, growing with him, learning everything we can about how he works and what he wants to do in our life, we get sucked into the things that pull us off the path. Um, how many of you watch football? Football season's kind of coming around. How many of you play fantasy? Just kidding. All right, we have a league here, it's all good. So 
if you ever watch football, do you notice what the coaches are wearing? What do they wear? You watch football every day, what do they wear? Headset, very good, well done, you get a cookie afterwards. Right, they wear a headset. Why do they wear a headset, ladies? Because they just look dumb, right? Because they communicate, that's not what she said, I was making fun. They communicate, who are they communicating with? Where at? Very good. They're communicating with other coaches up in the box. She gets a candy, you get a cookie, that's a candy. What they're doing is saying, hey, listen, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, all you guys, you see things that we can't see on the field. So we need you to tell us what we need to do. And that's the same thing for you and I. Man, having a relationship with God, being in communication with God, he sees things that you and I will never be able to see. He sees a bigger picture. For the football analogy, he sees more of the field than you'll ever see standing on the sideline or even in the game. And so what I want to encourage you before we go any further, just kind of coming off chapter chapter 9 here, is that we got to remember that we have an enemy that's on a mission But we have a strategy to defend it, and it is to get to know and to understand who God is in your life. You got that? Okay, now we could stop, but that was just the intro. Okay, let's jump in. Chapter 10, verse number 1, goes like this. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So just quick, they hear about all this, and now the Gibeonites have joined in with Joshua. Just to catch you up, Joshua made a deal with them. If you're gonna sneak in, now you're gonna work for us. So now they have joined forces together. He took what was evil and he's gonna use it for good. But now these other kings are hearing all about this and they're starting to get nervous, okay? Then verse three. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Horam, king of Hebron, don't worry about the names, just follow along, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Jephiah, king of Lashish, and to Debra, king of Eglon, saying, come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. So what does he say? All right, listen, we gotta do something. Couple things have happened. First, these Gibeonite people, they have joined up with now the enemy, and, and we're ticked about that. We can't believe they would do that, and so first they wanna take them out. They are ticked off that these people have joined forces with the people of Israel. Second, they're starting to hear this grumbling that these people might be unstoppable. Okay, think about it. They're going into these cities, completely demolishing everything, but not taking anything for profit. Remember that? God was very clear. That was last week was all about because one guy stepped out of line. And so they're hearing this and they're going, this is unbelievable. Normally people just go in, they cause havoc, they destroy everything, they take everything that's good. But these people are on a different mission and they're beginning to wonder, could this be something deeper than human? Could this be God? Could their direction be of some divine power, some divine authority? And so fear is beginning to happen. But then the last thing, these guys are not friends. They're actually enemies. But when you have a common enemy, all of a sudden you become allies. And so these five kings are all beginning to come together so that maybe, just maybe, they could take out the people of Israel. Let's keep on. Verse six. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgah, saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. 
Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up to Gilgah, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. So the Gibeonites said, hey, listen, we just wanna let you know, Joshua, you made a deal with us, you made a covenant, like it or not, you made a covenant and now you said you're gonna protect us and the time has come. These kings are coming for us, particularly coming after us because they're upset that we joined forces with you. We want to make sure that you are going to take care of us. Verse eight, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgah, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as the Aska and the Mekdeah. Now what happened, okay, this is fascinating, okay? Watch how this story is unfolding. The Gibeonites come ask, they ask for mercy, don't forget about us, you promised you'd take care of us. So Joshua goes to who? He goes to the Lord, says, okay, Lord, tired of making the same mistake over and over and over again, sounds like some of y'all, that's okay, I'm just saying. And he goes, okay, help us out here. We wanna do this right. God, what is your instruction? And what does God say to them? Do not fear I have given them into your hand. It hadn't happened yet, but like always, God is saying, I am telling you what's going to happen, and you can trust me if I say it, it's going to come true. And so now we gotta look at some of this. He says, I've given them to you. He doesn't tell them how he's gonna do it. He doesn't explain specifically, and we've seen this all throughout the book of Joshua, that moment after moment has taken place, and they don't have the clear answer of exactly how it's gonna unfold, but they simply have to just trust God as they walk forward, and God has been faithful to unfold. And here's, what, here's just something, a thought that I want you to think about, okay? It's often the pieces that make up God's perfect plan. It's often the pieces that make up God's perfect plan. Think about this for a minute. Think about all the things in your life, the little things that came together that you didn't think had much significance, that maybe you even thought were gonna be a bad thing for you, but how God was able to take all of these little pieces and when you look back on your life, you see that all these pieces are actually what came together to make the perfect plan that God, sitting up in the watchtower, if you will, had seen happening all along. It's often in the pieces that God's perfect plan comes together. Now, why is that important for us? Because we neglect some of the little things because we just want the big things. I just want to get a great career that makes me a lot of money where I don't need a $25,000 credit card. Sound great? Well, we forget that it starts when you're in school. It starts with that work ethic. You started back when you took that first job, whatever it was, probably a lifeguard. It starts in the beginning with all of these little things, but it's all these little things that come together to make the perfect plan that God has in store for you. And so we gotta remember as we're walking through this journey, just like Joshua, it's the little things that happen. So what's Joshua's story? Well, he's looking out and he sees, okay, we've been taking one city at a time. Now there's five teamed up against us and they're all coming for us. How's that sound? Anybody excited about that? That's gonna be great, right? Bring it on. Hey, we took out one. Let's bring all five, no problem, but here's the thing. What's God doing? Instead of having to go through five battles, you're just gonna go through one. Why go five times when we can take them all out at once? Now, we don't know if that's gonna happen, it might, because I just hinted at it. Let's see what unfolds. Now, remember the other thing. He says, Joshua, verse nine, Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgah. Now, this march would have been about 
20 miles, give or take, about 3,000 feet elevation. If you've ever dealt with elevation, you understand what that means. If you haven't, you're missing out on life and you probably don't hike. Um, I actually don't like it either, but I understand. And this would have taken about eight hours, okay? So this wasn't just a, hey, let's hop in the car and head down across the street. No, this was a journey all night long, and they did it at night. Why? Because when the enemy woke up, they would essentially be face-to-face with Joshua and his men. So they were able to suddenly sneak up on them, even though it was a suddenly eight hours later journey through the night. Now, I pause there for a very important reason. You need to understand, while Joshua is on this journey, just like all the journeys that he's been on, sure, the journeys are tough, sure, they're inconvenient, Sure, there's moments where they're not as pleasant how they would be stationed in a place where they could build homes and they could have their own stuff. But every piece of the journey was part of the call that had been on Joshua and his people. And for you and I, what I fear very much so for this generation is this. We wanna get to the call without any work. We expect the call to just happen and to be fulfilled, but we don't have to do very much to it because after all, God said it was gonna happen, right? And what I want you to understand is that even though in your calling, you're gonna have to work hard, it's a different kind of feeling when you're working in your calling versus working outside of your calling, okay? Let me just tell you. So when, before I came into ministry, I was a salesman for Interstate Batteries. Can you believe it? Amazing, I was great at it. Um, I hated it. I actually absolutely hated it. I was good at it. I had the skill set to do it, but I hated it because not even was it outside of my calling, I knew it was outside of my calling. Toward those last few years, as I was just waiting for an opportunity to step into ministry, those days working sales got harder and harder, more painful and more painful because I was getting closer and closer to where I was supposed to be, that being in a place I wasn't supposed to be was more and more excruciating. But then when I stepped into my calling and I became a pastor, life was just easy. I mean, it was amazing. I had all the time in the world. I only work on Sundays, Thursday nights. I mean, I just sit at home. I sleep in all the time. It's amazing. Like, it's a great, no. Now, some of you are like, I thought that was exactly what it was like. No, are you crazy? I wish you could just look into my life and schedule for just one minute, just one minute. It's unbelievable. But I'm gonna tell you something. I'm not complaining. Here, I'm gonna tell you the difference. I'm more busy now in this part of my life than I have ever been before. I have more, uh, not necessarily stress, but the weight, the pressure is higher now than it has ever been in my life, by bar none. And yet, even in the midst of that pressure and that stress and that hard work and that labor, that sweat, even blood, the difference is in my calling, I understand that this is just part of what I do. And sure, I don't wake up every single morning and go, oh, it's gonna be a great day as I get slammed with all this stuff. But I'm walking through it knowing, okay, God, this is what you call me to do. So it's okay. We'll figure it out. Some days are hard. That's why we have community. Some days it's exhausting. That's why we take rest and enjoy a Sabbath. And we start navigating through life. And what I realize is this life and this life are radically different, but the journey here in my calling is just unique. What I'm telling to you is if you can discover your calling, your days are not gonna get easier or lighter, but the joy is greater. And you find a way to just walk because you know it's what you've been wired to do. Do you know that you have been pre-wired to do something on this earth? Forget if you know that. 
do you believe that? And have you discovered that? Because if you haven't, you have not even come close to tap into your potential. That's great news, by the way. And if you have, I want to encourage you to move into the direction of your calling and stop waiting. Now, for some of us, it may be still a season of preparation and preparing. That's okay. But begin to move in that direction so that you can experience the joy that comes when we walk with God. Now, all of that was to say, they go on this long journey, and I guarantee you it was tiring. I guarantee you it was exhausting. But at the end of the day, they knew this is what God had called us to do. And when we get to the top of this mountain, when we get to these people, we are going to have victory. Okay, let's move a little faster. Verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, and the Lord threw down, ready for this? So they start to take off. They meet, sorry, I jumped ahead. They met the enemy. They found the enemy. The enemy starts to run. Watch what happens. This is great. This is like a movie. You ready? Okay, let's start at verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them. I told you it was like a movie. Amazing. As far as the cat, and they, they what? They died. Some of you are like, I've been waiting for the battle stuff. Yes, they died. There were, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Now that's very subtle, but it's very important. Even though the people of Israel did a lot of work, God still did the majority. You and I are never gonna get through life doing just doing everything ourselves, but we're also not gonna get through life doing nothing. We are gonna do something and God is gonna do the rest and oftentimes God's rest is gonna be far more than you're able, capable of doing but because you got the process started, he's going to be able to finish it. That was free, there you go. Now the hailstones fall from heaven. Now this is a picture for us to see that God is stepping in to do his part. That as they begin to move, God says what? Take a few steps, trust me. Take a few steps, watch me work. Take a few steps, watch my power grow. As they take these steps, God steps in. He does his part. He throws stones from heaven. He doesn't kill the people of Israel, not a single one of them. He kills all the enemy. This is fantastic, okay? Only could be God because if it were just stones falling from heaven, it would have killed anyone that it landed on, okay? So we see God at work. But watch this. This is kind of fun. This is free. Do you remember when we were studying Exodus? And we went through the, uh, the 10 plagues. Y'all remember this, some of you, maybe? Okay. It's online, you should watch it. We talked about how each plague was destroying one of the Egyptian gods. Well, at this time, one of the gods at the Canaanites, which is the basic name of all the people in the land, the promised land, one of the gods they worshiped was the god Baal. You may be very familiar with Baal. You hear about him a lot through the Bible, or it, a lot through the Bible. Baal was the god of storm, the god of weather, the god of rain, floods, hail, anything like that that could be. And so when God is having this moment, and also when they crossed the Red Sea at high tide, what did they do? God parted the sea and they walked right through. God is again, once again, reminding all the people around them that not only am I taking care of my people and taking you out, but I'm also doing it with the very things that supposedly your God is all about. You see this? God is like this, I don't think he's sarcastic, but he's genius. And he's actually really funny. When you really understand what happens in the Bible, it's quite amazing. And so God says, hey, take your God, let me flip it upside down on its head, and then I'll use it to my advantage like a salt shaker, and I'll drop it on the people, okay? So anyways, let's move on. This is getting out of hand. Verse 12, and at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said, 
in the sight of Israel, sun stand still. Let's pause. Two miracles. What in the world is going on? Okay, you would not know what's happening tonight. Verse 12, let me say it again. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. Verse 13, and the sun stood still and the men stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set forth about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel went with him to the camp of Gilgal. There were still men trying to get away. God dropped stones and then Joshua says, God, listen, I understand that if night comes, in a typical 24-hour day, if night comes, these men are gonna get away and we may not catch them again. And so Joshua asked the Lord to do something absolutely incredible. He says, God, please have the sun stand still. Now let me just, let's just pause for a minute. Before we get into miracles, I just wanna pause for a minute and ask you this question. Who thinks of that? I mean, did any of you, before ever hearing this story, if you've never heard it before tonight, ever think, if I ever need to stop someone, I'm just gonna ask God if he could set the sun still. I mean, the faith that Joshua has developed in God over time is actually mind-boggling. It's fascinating how God works through this man. And so Joshua says, listen, God, if you could stop the sun we are gonna be able to finish the very task that you put in front of us. Now, here's what I wanna show you, because if I just skip over these miracles, some of you are gonna leave and be like, oh, I'm not sure about all this. Here's what I wanna say to you. What God did in this moment, and along with the stones, these are what we call miracles, okay? These are miracles. These are miracles in scripture, and this is God-breathed scripture that we believe to be absolutely 100% true. Okay, now let me explain this to you. There's a difference between miracles and providence of God. There's a difference between miracles and the providence of God. Okay, now this is important, so listen carefully. Let's talk about providence for a second. What is the providence of God? Just in some simple terms. God orchestrates natural events to do as he wants to do. Providence of God. God moves things into place. They're natural, though it may seem unnatural. A miracle is an extraordinary event by God not explained by natural means. So we have a miracle, which is parting of the Red Sea, parting of the Jordan River, stones falling from heaven, sun stands still. I mean, we got miracle after miracle that we see throughout the scripture. And then we have the providence of God, where God brings together, God orchestrates things to take place to fulfill his purpose or his plan. Now, what I want you to see is in the world that we live in today, things are a little bit different. In biblical times, miracles were necessary to point people to God. 
Miracles were necessary to grab the attention of people so they might listen to the things of God. Now we serve, we follow, we trust with our life, with our faith, a God that is capable and does complete miracles. That is the God that we are worshiping in evening. That is the God that we're praying to. That's the God that we're reading about, that we're studying about. It is a God that is capable of and does miracles. But what happens today is we get so focused in on the idea of a miracle that we forget there's a difference between a miracle and just the providence of God taking place. What I want you to see tonight is that we've got to focus a little bit less on miracles and focus a little bit more of the God that is capable of doing miracles. The miracles that were necessary in the early biblical time, those miracles are not as necessary now because we have God dwelling inside of us. Now what we're not saying is that God doesn't do miracles because we know that God does miracles. But what I will say is we have to fix some of our terminology because for instance, if you say, well, I needed money to pay a bill and someone sent me money in the mail and it came just at the right time, some might say, that was a miracle. But the truth is, it's not really a miracle. It's the providence of God working through man, through natural events, to make his will come to pass. Now, if I were, for example, to say, or you were to say, hey, that guy, Chad, that spoke at Underground last night, he literally told the podium to get up and move, and then it did it. Y'all wanna see this, you ready? Watch this. Move. Did you see it? Did you see it? Were you watching? Now, we're not making, now listen, listen carefully. We're not making fun of people, but I I need you to understand this. Can God do a miracle? Yes. Could God move this podium if I said move? I was hoping maybe. He could. But why Would he? Answer the question. Why would he? Of what value does that podium moving because I told it to move play into the story of God? Some might say, well, I need to see that podium move if I'm ever going to believe in God. Okay? You could set that parameter. That's fine. But I think God would say to you, I've actually been moving in your life in so many ways, but you haven't been paying attention, okay? And what, so what I'm saying to you tonight is we serve a God that is capable of doing miracles, and we need to believe that way, and I'm about to hit on that in just a second. But we also gotta remember that not everything that just happens is a miracle. You need to remember God is here, and he is taking care of you. God is moving things into motion. God is making things go together for his glory and for your good. And there are gonna be things that, listen, it's a miracle that I'm standing in front of you. In fact, if we were to fill this room with all the people that knew me in high school, they would all go, oh, oh yeah, 1,000% miracle. Last guy we ever thought would be standing up there Period, end of story, all right? And they would say to you, it's gotta be a miracle because it's unexplainable. Now the truth is it's not a miracle. It's not a miracle. God knew that he was gonna use this jacked up, broken person if I would just follow his plan to do something great. It looks like a miracle. It could be articulated that if you desire to say that, but it's really the providence of God moving. Miracles were to draw people to God. 
The providence of God is the power of him at work. Listen, if you think God's not capable of doing incredible things in your life, your faith is simply just too small. And that's our problem, okay? Stocky travels all over the world as a missionary. He sees things that we probably would never see here. And I'm gonna say, speak for him for a minute, because the faith here of us here in the United States of America is the weakest thing in all of the world. Amen. Listen, let's get away from miracles for just a minute. Let's just focus on the God that's capable of miracles in your life. Could it be that the reason you've never seen God do something simply just that seemed impossible in your life, or maybe recently, because your faith is weaker than it's ever been before? Could do you believe that God is capable of doing something impossible in your life? Do you believe it? Do you believe that it's God that's capable of doing these kind of things in your life? Do you want him to? Careful. See, I think one of the big struggles we have is that we simply don't have the kind of faith that God needs to see for him to do something incredible. In fact, I would argue that we are capable now today with technology and resources and all to do so many things on our own that we don't really have to depend on God for very much. Sure, when life's broken, falling apart, you come running back to, oh God, save me, save me, save me, everything's broken. Uh. But when things are good, it's like our faith just begins to diminish because all of our resources are taken care of. We're not hungry on the side of the road. I say this, I've said this before, and I do think we all should go through a season, an extended season of our life where we're all broke, hungry, and homeless. I think it'd be great. You're like, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> Maybe you are. But I'll tell you this, it'll help you see God for who he truly is instead of a self-help book you pull off the shelf when you need him. That's the difference. We serve a God that's capable of miracles. He does the miracles. I believe that. I do believe that. But I also wonder if we have enough faith to even see anything that he wants to do. I wonder if we have enough faith to say, you know what, I believe God's calling me to that and it doesn't make any sense and it's counter everything that anyone is telling me, but I believe that's what he's called me to do. And so because I believe, I'm gonna take steps toward that no matter what people say. I don't think we have that kind of faith anymore. I don't know. I hope you do. Because that's what it's gonna take for you to truly experience God. It's a miracle. Or is it the providence of God? The other thing is some of us just let people get in the way. We let people get in the way of believing in the God of the impossible. We have a bunch of people around us that just keep us grounded. Um, sometimes even at work I'll have like a, a, a you know, idea or some whatever and I'm like, I think we can do this. Like I really think we can do this. It's kind of crazy. And people will be like, okay, have fun. Let us know how it goes. See you on the other side, right? I'm not knocking on church people. I'm just saying we're all human, okay? And so I get some crazy ideas sometimes. It's true. But sometimes we let the people around us just like, oh, no, 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 no. God's not calling you to do that. Just just go get a degree. I'm not knocking that. God's not calling you to do that. Just just go follow dad in the family business and do this. No, 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 no. God's definitely not calling you to be in ministry. That would be crazy. Don't do that. You need to make money. 
right? There's all these things, and if we're not careful, we let people around us just, just tear us down so much that our faith begins to suffer. I, I think what happens is sometimes because we're so close to things, we get more comfortable with things. And the closer we are to things, the more comfortable we are. So like, for instance, some people, I remember, even some of you, when you first came to Underground, you're like, man, it was really great. I just, the music was good, the message was good. Like, it really just, it was just, it felt like a great place. It was encouraging for yourself. And then six weeks later, you're like, man, man, kind of the same thing every week. The guy's saying, kind of sing. Some nights are on, most nights are off. Sometimes it's too hot, sometimes it's too cold. Now music's too loud, lights are off. Screens are off. I, da, da. And it, it, because we get so close to things that we get so comfortable with things that they lose their value. Verse 16, last little part. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Mecca. Verse 22, I'm gonna jump around a little bit. Verse 22. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring these five kings out to me from the cave. So these are the kings of the five cities. They all went to hide because they're scared. Verse 24, and when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. Then they came near and they put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For this the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Let's pause there. What did he say? He said, I don't want you to be afraid. But what was he saying? Have you heard those words before? Where'd they come from? Multiple times before, God said that to Joshua and even to Moses and even the people said to Joshua. What was Joshua doing? Joshua was sharing the word of God, literally him, the words of God, for us, the word of God, with other people. Joshua was sharing the word of God with other people. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you shared something from the word of God with somebody else? Now some of us go, wait a minute, well, I'm not a teacher or a preacher or any of that, so of course I haven't shared. No, the truth is, all of us as Christians are called to both learn, understand, and to share and to teach the word of God to other people. Some of you, it's gonna be to your friends. Some of it could be even to your parents. Some to your little brother or sister. When you get older, you get married. It could be to your spouse. When you have kids, it could be to your kids. It could be to your coworkers. It could be to your friends. We are called to not just take what we learn and it's happening in our quiet time as well as when we're at church and hold it in. We're to share it with others. And so Joshua says, hey, listen, let me teach you what God's been teaching to me. See, I had some doubts too. I wasn't sure I could conquer my enemies, but God told me, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because you can. And guess what? I wanna show you that so can you. So Joshua says, hey, come on over here. We're gonna lay these kings down the ground. By the way, I told you it was a battle story. It gets a little gruesome. We're gonna lay these kings on the ground and I want you to come over and I want you to put your foot on their neck. When you put your foot on their neck in biblical times, what it was saying is that the king no longer has any authority. The king has been defeated and he has lost his sight. Okay, remember, we're talking about a king, not just a person. We're talking about something that was ruling an entire city and now he's slaying on the ground and he's under the foot of Joshua's soldiers, of Joshua's men. What is he pointing to here? He is telling his men that God said we would conquer this land and God has not only conquered this land, but he has brought these kings to now lay down before you. As you put your foot on their neck, 
be reminded that as God says, so God does. Joshua has a Bible study with his men on the battlefield. Do you see this? Joshua told and taught his men what God had taught him. And here's what I want us to think about as we go. If you don't spend any time with God, you will have nothing to share with people. You will have nothing to share with people. And some of us struggle with this idea of sharing with others. But the truth is, the only reason that's a struggle is because there's nothing flowing inside of you. We should have such a strong relationship with God that things should just flow out of us. Your Bible study should flow out of you. The things God's teaching you should flow out of you. It's not just for you, though it started there. It's for others to experience too. How many times have you heard someone share their personal story, we call it testimony, and you go, oh man, I was encouraged by that. I went through something like that. And to see that you made it out on the other side, that's so encouraging. Listen, God has wired you and I as a community to share and to help each other, to grow and to strengthen, and you get to be a part of that, and that's all. And Joshua's modeling this for us. And the last piece of this that you need to understand is it's not just about what you can put in, but as you and I walk with God, we're an extension of his presence in the world. God's people are an extension of his presence in the world. That's you. You're an extension of who God is, where you are at work, where you are at school, with your friends, with your family. You're an extension of God in there, or are you? I don't know if you have to answer that. But God has wired it so that he could use his people to influence the world. And Joshua has this little Bible study, if you will, from the direct words of God and says, I want to remind you who the king is that we are following. And then he kills them. That's right. I didn't edit that. He kills them. And they hang them. And you go, well, I knew I didn't like this Bible thing. That was really gruesome. I agree, it's a little gruesome. But listen, there is a symbolic thing happening here that we've been hitting on for a few weeks. What is God doing? He is taking out the enemy to where they could never come back. And what God is doing here is symbolically saying to you and I that I am going to take out your enemy. And I'm not talking about your boss that's giving you a hard time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the enemy of Satan and sin. I am not gonna just punish it or throw it in jail. I'm going to kill it so that it stands no chance to ever rise again in your life. This is the picture of God conquering sin. And for those of you that go, I don't like how gruesome it is. Listen, how many of us have ever complained and said, why is there evil in the world? Why doesn't God just take care of all of this? He's going to. And don't complain about the gruesomeness because it's the very thing that you want. I want God to take all evil out. I hate it when I hear about kids being molested by priests. That ticks me off. I want to kill them. I don't know if I can say that. I'm sorry. (laughs) But the good news is, I don't have to. Because God will take care of that. I don't know if he's going to kill He's going to take care of it, though. This is his promise. I will take care of evil. And you don't have to wonder if I'm just going to put him to the side. No, I will take care of it. And I'm modeling it now from the very beginning in the Old Testament all the way to where we live now. When Jesus comes back at the end times, listen, it is either going to be the most exciting thing for the believers or it will be the scariest experience any person has ever had in their life, no matter what they've gone through. It will be the scariest thing because they will realize it was real. And it was true. And there is absolutely no turning back. 
And what for some will be the scariest thing they've ever experienced, for those in Christ, it will be the most joyous moment we've ever had in our life as we begin to step into eternity with an almighty God. So evil in the world will be taken care of. We're gonna have to deal with some stuff in the meantime, but while we're here, we get to be an extension of God's presence with the people that we're around. That's amazing. And symbolically, look, we get to put our foot on the neck of Satan. Say, listen, you can roam around this place all you want, but you don't control me. Because God dwells inside of me as a believer in Jesus Christ. Alone, away from God, you don't stand a chance against Satan. Don't try. All right, don't walk out and be like, he told me I can stand Satan. Come on, Satan, let's go. He's gonna kill you. He will crush your soul, literally. But if God dwells inside of you, you have the power and the strength to not only stand against the enemy, but to defeat him, including temptation, just for that little free fact there. You have that power inside of you. That's the power of God. And so when we say stand on the neck of Satan, what we're saying is because of the power of God inside of you, you have the power to do that. And you hear about Satan being referenced as a lion. But the truth is, it says that Satan roams around like a roaring lion. It doesn't say that he is a lion. It says he's like a lion. And what is he doing? He's roaring. He's just loud. That's all. He's just loud. But with God, he's not a lion. He's, not, he's like a lion. He's just loud. But with God inside of you, he can't, he can't stop you. Mess with you, maybe. Hinder you a little bit, maybe. But he can't stop you because we have the power of God. And God is going to win. And so that's what I encourage you today. As you're looking ahead, remember, we are following a God that does and did and will do miracles. We believe that. But we also serve a God that is providential and that takes care of things that you didn't even think about and makes things come together that are absolutely unbelievable. That's the God we serve. He can make stones fall from heaven. He can make waters part. He can make the sun stand still. And how did it happen? I'm sure you're wondering. I don't know. I could have gone through six different things that could have helped you describe it, and I do that oftentimes. Tonight, I don't want to do that. Do you know why? Because I don't want you to think that the miracle wasn't a miracle. I don't want your little scientific minds to start wondering, did it just stop on its axis, or did it tilt, or did God, like, bring extra light, or all that? I just sent, like, four of them, by the way. It's irrelevant. God did a miracle. That's all we need to know, because we serve a God that's capable of doing miracles. That's a wonderful thing. Walk out of here with some confidence. And have some faith in God and watch him do something incredible with your life. No wonder most of Christians' lives are so boring. They don't have enough faith to trust God through the crazy stuff so they can get to the amazing stuff. Have a little adventure in your life. Have some faith in God and go some places that he asks you to go that make no sense because he's leading you. Don't go just to go. Go because he's leading you. And watch as God does something incredible. That's a promise.